Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Okay, I think it's one o'clock. So I think we're going to start now. So happy new year, everybody. I hope you had a good break and a really well-deserved relaxing time over the um, Christmas period. So welcome to another one of our practice manager update webinars. My name is Louise Greenwood. I'm Director of Education and Training at Wessex LMCs. And I'm very pleased we've got um, Dr. Andy Perbrick, one of our joint um, CEOs with us today, and also Michelle Lombardi, Director of Primary Care. As ever, we will be recording this as actually a recorded webinar and a recorded podcast this time, because we're going to share um, some resources with you as we go, which we think will be helpful. Do please put in any questions you've got in the Q&A box. We'll try and come to them or, we'll, or we will come to them. Whether or not we can answer them all right here and now, I don't know, but we'll try our very best. And only we can't answer, we will answer later on. And it's always an opportunity for you to ask anything that is um, fresh in your mind and whether or not it's related to the topics we're talking about that we think are, are useful to share. But there might be something else going on that's um, hot off the press for you in your practice that we're very, very happy to share. And lots of you also on the call, we know we'll give answers to, which is also really helpful to us. So um, whether you're not listening live or whether you're not you're listening to the recording, we hope that um, it's going to be useful for you. So I think, Michelle, we're going to start with you um, today and you're going to introduce the topic of medical examiners. Uh, thanks, Louise. So um, we just wanted to highlight that in our newsletter this week, there will be information around uh, the new process that's going to be introduced from the 1st of April and will be a statutory process. Um, and we've got Andy here to talk a bit about uh, the different components of this. And I'm just going to hand over to Andy. Thanks. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, so, yes, we've been waiting for reform to the uh, their certification regulations for years, and there haven't really been any changes to these regulations for about 50 years. Uh, and the importance of reform and necessity for reform have been highlighted in a number of inquiries dating back uh, to Lee Shipman, um, but subsequent inquiries since then. So the reforms that are planned are, are due to come in in April and the draft regulations have just been um, produced. They could still be amended because they've got to be laid before Parliament um, prior to the statutory systems uh, coming into force. But the aspiration is that they will come into force in April 2024. And there are two major things that are really going to change. One is around medical examiners becoming statutory and the other is around changes to the death certificate or the MCCD as, as we call it. Um, so from about 2019, I think NHS England and NHS Wales have started implementing the medical examiner system on a non-statutory basis. And a lot of practices are already using uh, or referring deaths via the local medical examiners uh, on a voluntary basis. Our philosophy is it's going to be introduced. It's better to get used to using the system now uh, and iron out the, the glitches. And certainly we've been working very closely with medical examiners uh, across uh, Wessex to try and make sure that the processes are as painless as possible for, for GPs. So currently medical examiners are scrutinizing pretty much every death in acute hospitals and a growing proportion of deaths in other healthcare settings, including general practice. But at the moment, it's non-mandated, so it's not statutory. But once the new death certification reforms come to force, they will become statutory and there will be independent review of every death in England and Wales without exception. And it will either be provided by the independent scrutiny of the medical examiner or by investigation by a coroner. So um, one of the key things that uh, is going to change with the um, reforms potentially 
is that a medical practitioner will be eligible to be an attending practitioner to complete the MCCD if they've attended the deceased in their lifetime. Currently, you have a 28-day rule, so you have to have attended the deceased in the last uh, 28 days before death or seen the body after death in order to uh, issue the death certificate. Whereas with the proposed reforms, the attending practitioner will just have have to have seen the patient within um, their lifetime. I I think I'm slightly concerned about how that's going to be interpreted. And as with everything, we'll have to watch and wait to see how local systems interpret the, the wording. Um, but that is potentially a positive change that we've all been um, asking for. Sadly, calls for other trained medical professionals to be able to issue death certificates uh, fallen on death, on death, uh, not death, deaf ears. Uh, we were very keen that nurse practitioners, uh, paramedics should be able to uh, contribute to death certification because, as we know, they are an important part of our MDTs, but um, that's so far a step too far. So just to remind you, medical examiners are senior medical practitioners. They're contracted under a, a certain number of sessions a week to provide independent scrutiny of deaths. They're there to answer questions from the bereaved family and ensure that the death certificate certificate is completed correctly uh, and that the death didn't need to be passed on to the coroner. As I said, there's going to be a new death certificate introduced from April 2024. That will include uh, details of the medical examiner who scrutinised the course of death, so as well as the GP signing the death certificate, the medical examiner will sign it. There will also be an ethnicity box on the form. Um, to be filled in if the patient has self-declared their ethnicity prior to death. Uh, There'll be no requirement for you to chase the ethnicity if it's not uh, clear from the medical record. Uh, There'll be a box around maternal deaths on there. And medical devices and implants such as pacemakers will now be um, recorded on the death certificate. And this is important. I'll I'll get onto that in in a second, but it's important in terms of cremation. the coronial processes, so the notification of death regulations, the requirements of when uh, to refer to a coroner will remain in force and they're not changing. So if it's obvious a death needs to be referred to the coroner, the GP will still refer to the coroner rather than the medical examiner. There may be instances where you're not sure whether it needs to go to the coroner or not, and that's where your medical examiner can assist you in deciding then. But if it does need to be referred to the coroner, it will be the GP that refers to the coroner. Um, and... Um, In terms of death registration, the death won't be registered until the registrar receives notification from the medical examiner or coroner. Currently, there's a five-day rule where a death has to be registered within five days of um, the the patient uh, passing away. Well, the five-day statutory time uh, won't start ticking until the registrar receives uh, notification of the cause of death. So that's going to take a lot of pressure off of us as GPs and the relatives to, to register the death within those five days. Um, and so once we get these strategy reforms in place, actually the medical examiner system um, and the medical examiner's scrutiny will make the form for cremation form obsolete. And so uh, it's likely that we won't have cremation forms after uh, April as well uh, because information about medical devices and implants in the body will actually be on the uh, death certificate and that will be transferred to the certificate of burial or cremation, which is a green form completed by the registrar uh, 
to inform the relevant authorities of the presence of any implants. So there are there are positive changes. Um, I hope hopefully it will streamline the um, the reporting process. Um, most of us feel that the changes could have gone further, but it's a step in the right direction. Obviously, as I said, they are still open to change. They have to go before Parliament, but we thought we would give you the heads up and also encourage you to say that whatever happens, medical examiners are coming, say it's better to get involved in, in that referral process and get familiar with the refer referral process now rather than waiting to, till April and then suddenly being mandated to do it at the last minute. Thanks, Andy. Just one question is coming. Is it five days or five working days? Five days. So okay. currently it's five days, which is ridiculous because especially at the Christmas period, yeah. um, it includes the bank holidays. Uh, I mean, recently, just out of pragmatism, the registrars have been very flexible with it. But the law, so it's the law. So the law says five days. Um, and I guess the way that the reforms are being written is that once registrar receives notification then there's five days for the um, bereaved to register the death well the registrar is not going to receive that notification on a non-working day so it does you know it does give the um the, the bereaved more time and the gp less stress in terms of getting that certificate um uh, completed quickly and in our patch, what experience? So some practices have already engaged with the medical examining system. What experience have they had? Has it been a positive experience? Has it been a difficult experience? What what experience have practices had so far? I think with any change, there's always a nervousness. There's the need to fill out a referral form, but that's embedded in clinical systems. Very easy to complete, even for someone like me who hates all sorts of forms. It's really short. Uh, the turnaround time from the medical examiners has been quick. That was one of our concerns is that it would delay the the process and actually a lot of um our, our colleagues find that the advice and support from the medical examiner has been really useful when they're not sure what to write on the death certificate or whether they're not sure that they can actually issue the death certificate as there are some of those instances where you're not sure whether um it should go to the coroner or who's best to complete the certificate and the medical examiners can give that reassurance so they are ensuring that death certificates are completed correctly the registrars are feeding back to say that there are, there are a lot less death certificates that are being rejected and bounced uh, and also um, the coroners are feeding back to say that the referrals into the coroner are, are more appropriate uh, and, and um, uh, referrals that should have gone to the coroner aren't slipping through the net so generally positive feedback a comment's coming from um, one of our managers. One of our GPs is adamant this will take a lot of additional time in practice, so won't allow us to do it ahead of it becoming mandatory. Mm. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm probably one of those GPs that that that'd be my natural reaction as well, but um, uh, rather sort of masochistically, I, I agreed that my practice would pilot it, and I have to say that it really hasn't added to the um, the the time that it takes for me to issue the death certificate. So okay. um, I found it a very painless, a very painless process. Okay. That Sounds good. Another comment, we've been using the system for over a year, found it very helpful. Medical examiners are really helpful, um, which is a good comment. So um, put your comments in the chat. We can't let anybody speak just for technical reasons. So just do put one says, can I speak? But best put your comments in the chat and we can, we can share that with Andy. Obviously, Andy, there are managers on the call now. Um, what do you suggest they do? Um, how how what we what what would they do now having heard some of this information what would you suggest they do well i'm going to put 
obviously we're going to put the, the details in the newsletter. Uh, we did run a course um, in November around demystifying death, um, which included medical examiners. I think we are planning to do a podcast around these new regulations. Uh, we continue to work with our local coroners and medical examiners to publicize um, the referral pathways to try and streamline processes. So keep your ear to the ground uh, and share some of the comments that we put out with your GPs. And we have I, can take, I can totally understand why GPs would say, oh, God, not another process, not another referral form. That's exactly how I react to all of these things. So, but this is rel- – we've, we've tried to work with the coroners and with the medical examiners to make this as painless as possible because we knew it, was become, it would become statutory. So there's no way around it. So better to work with it and get used to it. Um, uh, and, yeah, as I say, I found it relatively painless. Okay. Um, another comment, we've been piloting it and generally quite positive. However, practices need to be careful as texts may still be due to go out before we make a patient read. So we remove the contact details immediately. You might know a little bit more about that than I do, Andy. Uh, I think it's about the deceased. It's about deregistering the, the patient after death. So you've got automated notifications that go out. I think it's very important as soon as you get notification the patient's passed away that you obviously do your death administration because otherwise the relatives uh, or the deceased's mobile, whatever, is is still receiving notifications. So. Okay. I think that's where that's coming from. Okay, thank you. And um, we wrote a short lunch and learn on this, which is on our website if anybody wants to download that and just share that with the team. We will keep updating that as we go because we know this is sort of a moving moving situation um, to become a statutory. Is it the 1st of April as a statutory, Andy? Well, it depends whether it gets through Parliament. Uh, it's going to be laid before Parliament. It could be amended. The aspiration is that it will be statutory from April. Yeah, so I would work with the assumption that it will be. I, I think it's been scrutinised um, to the nth degree, so I can't imagine that there's going to be radical changes to it. Okay, and as, as Andy said, we'll do podcasts or webinars. More information will come come your way that will be appropriate for your GPs. And we've also updated our death certification page on the website to include this information along Perfect. the bottom. Um, another comment's come in. Are undertaker organisations included in the comms? We have terrible problems with them booking funerals and beating us over the head with the five-day rule. Yeah, the five-day rule actually isn't. I'm surprised that the undertakers are are the ones that are quoting that because the five-day rule is purely about registering the death with the registrar. It's nothing to do with about having the cremation. The undertakers are more interested in making sure that they don't miss their slot in the crematorium usually. Um, so, yeah, they are involved in all of the comms that go out around new regulations and they will be um they will be a party to that. I, I guess one of the benefits of not having to do cremation forms will be that there'll be less pressure from the undertakers. The drawback is obviously we don't get the funding that we used to get from um, completing the um, cremation forms. Although a lot of us would argue that, that the hassle of completing the forms, especially if we have to go and view bodies or whatever, um, sort of outweighs the benefits of any payment. So I think that streamlining would be will be seen by quite a lot of us as, as beneficial, take some of that heat off from undertakers. Good. Okay. So it's a change and we've got enough change, but actually it sounds like a positive change. And it's, as you say, it's, um, 
information is power isn't it? and education is power so the more informed we are the more we engage in the process the, hopefully the easier it will be when it when, when we have to do it um but when that this isn't the only um communication we're doing obviously it's information newsletter the informational website and, and we will do information for the gps also um as we go on and we will keep you updated as we go thank you andy that has been really very very useful um Michelle, I think we're coming to you now. We're going to do a little bit on finance. We had advertised that um, Dr. Will Howard would be with us. Unfortunately, he's unable to be with you with us. So if you've got any particular finance questions that we're unable to answer, as ever, we will come back to you on the um, publication of this on the website and we will inform you of the of the answers to any questions you put in. But we will do our very best to answer. Well, obviously, I won't be able to answer them, but Michelle might well be and Andy. Um, so we'll just do our very best to answer any questions as we go. And I think we've got some resources we might be sharing, Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Louise. So we thought it was probably a good time of year. So we're in quarter four and when everyone's thinking about making sure the claiming has been put in uh, and just making checks that we would uh, share with you what resources we have on our website around finance. So, uh, Louise, I don't know if you want to be able to share your screen. What we are going to do is we are going to click, we are going to pop the link in the chat so you can get direct to this page. Uh, so this is a, a finance page of all of the different pieces of guidance around finance for practices. Um, one that I just wanted to highlight, we've got an end of year checklist. I recognise it says 2223, but we are just in the process of um, updating that for you which will be available uh, shortly. It really just goes through the processes you need to think about when uh, for end of year for each of the elements that we've got listed there. But as I said, we will update that for this year as I recognise it's for last year and there may have been some changes. The other area that we wanted to highlight at the top of the page is our practice manager calendar, particularly relating to national returns. And this is something one of my colleagues, Jane, uh, has, has worked with a PCN manager and a practice manager. Uh, as we recognise how... Um, how there are a huge amount of claims and submissions that practice have to make on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, an annual basis. Uh, and we just wanted to provide information uh, to make sure that you can maximise your uh, income and returns uh, for practices. So I was just going to pick up a couple of um, uh, elements of this that might be slightly, um, that are not your normal monthly processes. The first one I wanted to highlight was on line 42, which is the FGM, so female genital mutilation. There's a collection due, I think, on the 31st of January. I believe it happens in the background via the clinical audit um, platform and they'll collect the call to three data uh, and that happens as I say in the background I believe that there isn't a need for practice to undertake that but it was just a highlight that that's something that's slightly uh, that I think happens on a quarterly basis and then the other one I just wanted to highlight I know that we'd mentioned this at our last practice manager webinar and probably the one before that too which is around PCSE and the annual certificate of pensionable profits that practices need to submit and this is due in on the 28th of February um, so it's really just to highlight that that's uh, uh, submissions that need to be made uh, for this for this that are slightly um, uh, outside of what you would normally submit. So um, I'm just going to pop the link in the chat for you as to how you get to the finance page, and then there's a link to this PM calendar. If there was any questions, happy to take them. And if we, as as Louise has said, if we can't answer them, we're more than happy to take them away and answer them after the webinar. Thank you, Michelle. There's all sorts of things on that um, 
on that page, which should be really, really useful for you. Um, we will update them as we go. Um, and if you think there's anything missing, do let us know, because we're very happy to add things um, and amend as, as we go. But there's, as I say, lots of information on there. Some of the recorded um, webinars that we've done, the bite-sized sessions on finance are there, um, all sorts of things. And especially if you're new um, or new to finance, they're particularly useful. And one thing on funding that has just come in, a question that's come in, how is the national living wage to £11.44 going to be funded, please? I think that's a really good question. Andy may want to come in here. This is something that the BMA are very much aware of. Um, you may also be aware that the BMA have asked for a finance survey for practices to complete so they can uh, use that when to inform national negotiations. Um, so I think it's very much on the radar of the BMA. It'd be an, it's part of, I would assume, the national co contract negotiations and being considered as part of this, Andy. I don't know if there's any more that you can add. Yeah, absolutely. W one of the reasons why the BMA have, have put this survey out is because they want to be able to demonstrate real time the financial pressure and impact on practices, especially uh, as a result of the 6% promise that was given this year. We all know that the core GMS funding was on the on the main woefully inadequate to pass this on to all staff. So um, it's about gathering evidence to present in contract negotiations. But I can assure you the BMA are pushing uh, and highlighting the minimum wage increases a potential threat to stability of practices. Thanks, Andy. Um, another comment, I've completed the finance survey. Will we be getting any um, anonymized feedback um, from that survey? I imagine there will be feedback from the national survey, isn't it? I would hope so. Mm. Um, there's also the other survey that's being undertaken about the future of general practice. So I would hope that the BMA would put out both of the feedbacks from both of those surveys. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what comes as a consequence of that. Yeah, I would. I mean, I guess it depends what the survey shows. So if the sh <laughs> survey shows what the BMA think it will show, which is financial hardship and pressure on practices, you can bet it will be um, used to um, try and help and influence political party health manifestos as well as with the contract negotiations. And similarly, the survey for general practice uh, for GPs around future working and the future general practice is really designed to allow the BMA to produce their own health manifesto for general practice uh, in the coming months to influence, again, health policy um, uh, of the major political parties with the understanding that we've got the general election coming up. And the contract negotiations, we're not going to see massive, massive change in GP contract over the next year partly because there's only a one-year funding um, uh, budget sort of on the table because of the general elections. Um, we'd see the, the current contract negotiations more as a stepping stone to see meaningful, significant meaningful change probably over the next sort of two to three years. And the discussions about it, not just the national minimum wage, it's also ensuring the gap between the rest of the different staffing types, the funding yeah. of that. Is that also part of the discussion, Andy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. And one just comment, um, slightly wryly, is um, evidence will be that the more practices are closing down, and that might be the result of the survey. But and that's a rather that's a rather cynical start to the new year, isn't it? Well, it's certainly a matter of fact, and it's a matter of fact that's being presented to the politicians. Okay. Do we know what's any statistics on that, Andy? It's difficult because if you look at the raw statistics, the numbers of practices closing um, are 
are kind of there, but that doesn't take into account the number of mergers. And so some of the pushback is, oh, well, they're mergers, but then we would push back again and say, but they're mergers out of necessity uh, because if they weren't merging, they'd be closing. So uh, I can't give you the the raw figures offhand. I can tell you that in terms of GP numbers, we're 2,200 less full-time equivalents in 2015, and your average GP is looking after uh, 300 more patients per full-time equivalent GP than they were in 2015, which um, is driving the feeling that we're currently all working with unsafe and unmanageable workloads. But those figures are really spiraling now, aren't they? Okay, um, thank you. That's been really useful. I think that was all we we're going to talk about on finance. So do um, send in any more questions that you oh, have. Sorry, Louise, oh, there were on. a couple yeah. more questions on this. Oh. I just wonder if we wanted to pick up. Yes, um, of course. One is in relation to PCSE. New GP started in August and registered with PCSE. Um, been chasing since that time to get her or him registered. Um, how do they complete their type two forms? There is a manual way of doing it. You don't need to log in, I believe, into your online uh, account. Uh, we Dawn has huge amounts of information about PCSE. So I think what we need to do is potentially take that one away and maybe um, just looking at who's popped the question. We can probably share that and maybe share it on the um, information on our website with our webinar. But there is, a, I believe there's a manual form that can be filled in or paper form that can then be submitted as opposed to doing it online. Perfect. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really helpful. Another question has come in. There's huge pressure coming to the end of an lease um, in, in if you're in an NHSPS property, the practice can no longer get an improvement grant for it, and it feels quite a precarious time for premises. There's yeah. nods, nods all around to that one. And anything, what would you suggest if somebody is concerned about that, Michelle? What would you suggest that they do? Um, so they need to obviously come to us, and we can then raise it with the BMA. Uh, this is something we are raising with the BMA, uh, absolutely. Any more on that, Andy, from discussions at the level that you're at now? Well, we all know that premises for general practice are one of the biggest constraints for us in terms of innovation. The aspirations of ICS is to move care into community. It's obviously uh, hamstrung by the fact that we've got no space within our practices. We're, we're getting requests for it, taking on more trainees. Uh, we don't have space for our GPs and ARS staff at the moment. So unless there's meaningful investment in general practice estates, then we're not going to be able to develop uh, in line with ICS aspirations. Okay, thank you. Useful. Um, I think that's probably the end of the questions that have been covered more. Michelle, I know you've been keeping an eye on the chat. There was also um, one about the finance uplift for 24-25. Or where can I, do we know yet what the finance uplift will be for 24-25 or where we can look for this? I'm not sure that that is, we've got that information. It's still part of ongoing negotiations. And as soon as we've got it, we'll share it with practices. When do you think we'll get it? We'll get it February time, do you think? Or uh, what are we good question. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Okay. Well, well, as soon as we have it, we'll share it. But yeah, we're not sure at the moment. Um, just another comment coming in. There seems a lot of ICB pressure coming about working across neighbourhoods. But where is the funding coming from to set these up and get these working effectively? Is there any? Is there any funding for it? Michelle, and question. I, yeah, we don't know. That. Sorry, all these questions. What's the definition I'm, of neighbourhoods as well? Yeah, what is I a think, neighbourhood? I think the term neighbourhood is different? being. Is the term neighbourhoods being used interchangeably with PCN, and uh, I suspect that that 
PCMs will the term PCM will morph into neighborhood moving forward. They pretty much mean the same thing as far as I'm concerned. But it's, it's about collaborative working, isn't it? At scale. Work, yeah, for for ICBs we work across and I suspect the terms are being used differently in the ICBs mm. and yeah. Interesting. Okay. Thank you very much for that. That has been really useful. And as I say, as, as as soon as we know this information, we are all very, very happy to share it. Um, but we don't always um, get a huge amount of notice for these sort of things, do we? Moving on to a few other things now. Um, just wanted to share again, we've got the funded diploma for managers in general practice coming up using the apprenticeship funding scheme. Managers working in general practice in our patch, in our West SLMC's patch, can complete a level five diploma in leadership and management. It's a 15 day programme run virtually over 20 months. It is really a unique opportunity to learn some great tools for working as a manager um, with your colleagues, all of whom work in surgeries across our patch. And it's also great for um, building up a supportive network for you as you move forward two the start date's the 6th of february and i'm just going to share my screen again because you can see then that we've got um the information is here on our um front page um and you can get all the information there um also links to we've got some um, q a's coming up one on 9th of january at 11 o'clock and one on the 15th of january at three o'clock do sign up for those if you want to find out more um, and as I say, the actual um, the actual diploma starts on the 6th of February. And I'm not aware before of there being any national funding to support managers in general practice in this way. So I do hope that um, we can show um, there's going to be lots of support for that and a lot of enthusiasm. And I'm delighted. I've already had quite a few emails about it. So that's great. Um, hopefully that will go really well and be very, very useful and great for succession planning as we go forward. Finally, we've got our PCN discussion group coming up this Monday, 8th of January, over Zoom, 10.30. And you'll get a Zoom link um, coming round about that. So do join us. That will be focused on PCNs, but you're all very welcome to attend. Um, CQC, we hope, will be joining us. They have said they will probably come, but we will wait and see. So that's 10.30. But we've also got Tara Humphrey from THC Primary Care Network Management coming. Um, so she runs a national resource for PCNs, and that could be really helpful. So I'm hoping those of you who are interested in PCNs, and that will be relevant for you, that they will join us then. And finally, you might want to pencil in Tuesday the 25th of June, which will be our 2024 conference day for this year. So um, Tuesday the 25th of June, um, we will put a save the date on, the, on our website, but just sort of hold that date. I think that might be an interesting day for you. So unless you've got any more questions, I don't think we have. I want to say thank you very much to Andy and to Michelle for joining us. Thank you very much, all of you, for listening. And we will see you again very soon. We're going to be back on Wednesday the 17th of January at one o'clock. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Take care. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.